Hi there, I'm Casey Smith, and you're listening to Shoulder Charge, a rugby league podcast. On the show this week, I'm joined by Chris Deering of Holdockers. You've probably seen by now the U-turn by the RFL to reinstate the Elite Academy status to Bradford, Castleford and Hull KR after a huge backlash. The licences have been extended for another two years. But they have not, as of yet, been granted a licence until 2027, like all the others. One of the reasons the RFL restricted the amount of academies is because they believe the community game is adversely affected by clubs basically gobbling up all the talent at an early age. But is that the feeling shared by the community clubs? I spoke to Chris Deering to find out. But first, I asked him his thoughts on the U-turn by the RFL. I think it's partially the right decision. I think it needed a U-turn, but it would have been preferable to see a full U-turn. Um, you know, they've, they've given uh, the, the three clubs um, probationary licences for the next two years, which, um, yeah, it's, it's a positive, but it's not returning to the status that they had pre-decision. Um but yeah, it's it's welcome that they've they've had a change of heart. Yeah, and obviously they've they've given it just for two years, so you know we could be in this situation again down the line. Uh, to, what did you see the Ralph Rimmer interview on Sky? I did, yeah. yeah. I, I didn't see it live. I saw it afterwards, and I have to say, I, I was disappointed with with some of the comments that it came out with. I thought the two presenters um, put across across some good points, um, but you know, when you know, you say that kids get upset when they're, um, you know, when they they don't get an academy. Yeah, it, it's true that they do, but it's a different scenario. They've, uh, you know that's where the, they haven't been good enough to make the grade as opposed to not having the opportunity at all to to even try to make the grade they're just you know stealing people's dreams I, I thought he showed no empathy yeah. um, whatsoever uh, and some people have said you know it's time for him to go what what would you say to that yeah i would i would agree with it i, I think at the moment the the sport um, need some changes, but it, they're looking in the wrong areas. I mean, like there's been another example recently that, that there's sort of constant attacks on the community game. This was an attack on the community game um, because the, the the community players are going to academies. But the other one is that you know they're trying to introduce a charge for everybody yeah. involved in um, in in the community game. Now they've done a U turn on volunteers and coaches, right. which. You know, for someone who's giving 30, 40 hours a week to then have to pay for the um, the privilege is a, a bit of a steep ask. In terms of the players, you know, they've not really given anything back. You know, the saying about insurance, clubs pay for insurance anyway. Um, you know, we can get deals on um, on, on tickets for, um, for internationals and things like that, but not everybody's interested in that. But, you know, when you've got a club of around 250, 300 players, to start taxing them all 25 quid yeah. or thereabouts for a season is a lot. Um, you know, we're in one of the most deprived areas of the city, uh, well, of the country, anyway, never mind the city, um, and getting subs out of um, players to pay for the basics is hard enough to then be adding on 
you know this amount as well um you know and you might have a kiddo's um you know playing open age himself and got two kids playing primary so you know is he going to pay three lots of money so yeah you know back to the the, the question on on ralph rimmer and and what's happened with the academies yeah it's time for him to go yeah and in terms of that membership fee uh so the the u turned on that as well now um you know the rfl say they, they want to increase participation but then they slapping these twenty five quid fees on, you know. How are they going to in, in, uh, increase participation exactly. when, you know, they tell him, well, sorry, you know, the kid who might not have much money, who could be, you know, he could do anything, he could be the top Super League player, but sorry, you know, not, no, you know, no money there. So you know, a, a, a financial. Uh, you know, elements should not be uh, a barrier for for kids playing rugby. We should be getting you know uh, as many in as possible, and you know, as clubs, we pay fees to the various organisations to to be members, um, and you know, we're, we're already contributing in our own way. Um, I'm not sure what the RFL actually you know provide for us. I know they've been busy um, over lockdown and, and and so they should be um but you know to start then trying to you know tax players and, and volunteers is wrong yeah and so part of the reason they were getting rid of some of these academy uh, academy elite academy licenses they say well you know we did a long consultation process with community clubs uh you know and there's a there's a concern about poaching talent from community clubs and then they're sort of decimated. Well, is there, has there been consultation with, or, you know, what's the case with that? I'm not aware of any consultation either with my club or within the city of Hull, full stop. Um, in terms of the impact on the game, yeah, you know, there is always going to be an impact on the game. Um, you know, and, and some clubs will be impacted on more than others, but it's about how you work with the um, with the organisations. Um, we've, we've got a very good working relation, relationship with Hull KR, um, and if it wasn't for um, them, we wouldn't have any lads on scholarship or academy, as, as far as I'm aware. Um, you know, it, it's got to be mutually beneficial. The issue is um, that, you know, it was something that was mentioned in the interview that they may be looking at kids a little bit too early, yeah. you know, 13, 14 years of age. But that's a different argument altogether, and that's something that they've got to, to look at. But in terms of the draw on the game, if... Hull Kingston Rovers can't run um, an elite academy, but they could put a college academy in. There is an equal impact on the game because if those kids are playing on a Wednesday, chances are they're either going to be fatigued or unfit come the weekend for playing community rugby. Um, some of them we know, you know, Hull FC have got um, a, a community um, college academy they play on a wednesday so if you're training tuesday thursday wednesday all that is pretty much out of the mo- out of the you know out of the way you can't use the kids they can't do any contacts at the moment because of covid but you can't have a kid training community tuesday and then playing for college on a wednesday so however they spin it about what the options are 
it's not going to work. And if there's no academies whatsoever, so if, if Rovers was to say we can't do a, a college academy, which I think it would be hard for them to, to do that, um, but if, if, they, if they couldn't do one and they're looking at reserves in next for next year, where are they going to get the players from? Potentially from the community in the same yeah. way, but they're going to hit that open age bracket or you know the 18s and upwards age bracket. So, however, the, the, it's the same playing pool. You know, regardless of, of who is, and you know, we went through the merged um, scholarship and academy um, with with all Kingston Rovers and, and all FC, and there wasn't any less players going through that system. You know, because there was there was looking otherwise it was in the days of, of embed the pathway where everybody had the opportunity. So you know, it's it's always been an issue. The the problem isn't about the academies, it's the playing pool of players. That's what's got to increase. Yeah. And your thoughts on increasing that, how how are we going to do it? Do you do you agree with the, you know, some former players who are saying, well, you know, let's sign them a bit um, when they're a bit older rather than such a young age and leave them in the community game. Uh, and what is your, you know, what are your thoughts on increasing the player pool? Yeah, I mean, increasing the player pool is a hard one. It's it's about the um, attractiveness of the game of rugby league. Now, you know, since lockdown, um, our primary numbers have gone through the roof. The the you know we've got a, a, a bigger playing pool than we've ever had at Old Dockers, right. um, and and, it, and it's and it's continuing to grow. But that's that's probably a knock on from lockdown, where parents are bored of having the kids at home and saying, right, you'll go out and you'll yeah. do something. You know, we've we've done a big. You know, we're 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 continually advertising. We're continually getting new players. But <clears throat> the issue that you've you've got is you've got to have a sustainable team that goes to the thirteen a side game from primary. So when they get into eleven, twelve years of age, now the problem you've got then is they go to senior school as well, and that's when you know new friendships form. And you know, you use the term poaching earlier that yeah. you got know, it's about um, the the academy's poaching players, they don't they don't poach players, but you've got a bigger risk within the community game that when kids get to senior school, they can be drawn to other more popular clubs, and so you see a deficit, a, a, a not so popular club, and it's about spreading those players, you know, around the game. So, you know, whether you know that's a change in the rules on size of squads. Um, the number of teams that one club can have and things like that. So it's about sharing them about. We, we've got a team at 13s. Um, they're, you know, they're probably the, the best team in the city at that age group at the moment. Um, but that coach or the, the team manager has chosen to cap their playing squad at 20. So it gives other players who were in the playing pool of that age group the opportunity to play for other clubs, but also his players that are within that 20 get the opportunity to develop and get more game time. Now, there is a risk about around injuries as they get older and things like that, but, you know, you're seeing clubs with 30 kids, you know, at one age group, there is no way that they can all be playing the game. So it might need to, you know, be something about looking at the, um, at, you know, how... The actual competitions are organised, but I think the other side of it is, you know, the RFL. I'm not seeing anything where they're really pushing to increase the number of players that you know we've got in a city. I mean, like before, we used to have development offices and things like that. Yeah. You know, were paid from the RFL. They, they've all gone by the wayside. 
Um, and it's, it is down to the clubs to build their, um, you know, their, 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 their squads. But there is only a limited number. You know, if you go back 30 years in Hull, there was, you know, five open-edge divisions of eight to ten teams. That's the open-edge. We can't get an open-edge division in Hull. Uh, um, you know, within the city of all uh, at youth level, there's you know divisions right through from under sixes through to under 18s. But some of them, like under 18s, I think there's six teams. Now that's better than where it was because it, this is the first time they've run an under 18s. But you you know you look at um, what's happening in Yorkshire. There's a lot of teams who fold quite quickly because they can't sustain the numbers because. You know, there's a lot more for kids to do, whether it be other sports that are more accessible now, or whether it's competing with, you know, PlayStation, Xbox, and and at them sort of ages, you know, work commitments. Yeah, and so in terms of participation numbers, you're actually saying, well, you know, this is a good period for us. Is that the view? Yeah, I mean, we're we're on a new system called Sports TG, which has only been running for a few years, but. I would say, well, from from the statistics that it throws out, we're, we're in a better position than we've ever been in. Right. It goes back four years on that system. Um, and that's combining what we had previously playing in Yorkshire as well, if we looked at it um, globally. So, you know, you, you look at player participation. I ran our last under-18s that completed last year. Um, and so I had lads who went through into scholarship with the City of Hull Academy. And then when that split, I had academy players, uh, well, scholarship and academy players go on to Old Kingston Rovers. At that time, I still ran an under-18 side that played in Yorkshire. I have had 17 lads that have signed from last year's under-18s to this year's open age. Now, not all of them will play, but... You know, if if they're saying that the academies are a big hit on the community club, how come I can have, I think it was four players playing academy for Old Kingston Rovers and 17 of trans of, of sand for open age, and that's without the ones who've dropped out of the game for whatever reason. Yeah, and in terms of like getting p- players, do you do like much? Do you do stuff in schools like go around and doing sessions or anything like that? It's, it's, it's a bit of an issue that I mean, one of our most successful teams at the moment, as in numbers, is our current under 11s, and they've probably got um, 40 players down. Now, I did mention before about one team having 30. What they've done is they've they've actually split into two, so they do all Dockers greens and all Dockers white. So they're two separate teams with about 20 players in each, you know, so they can fulfil their fixtures um, each week. We've not currently got an under-10s at the moment, um, so they've got under-10s players within that. We're hoping that we can develop that and we can split out, so we'll have an under-11s and an under-12s next year. So the the numbers are big. But how that one came in is that there was a relationship with the school and, and they all started together by the coach going in and doing sessions with the school and got the kids you know, from that local primary school and they've just built and built and built. So it gave them a real good footing to start. And it, it, you know, it is you know, a real benefit if you can do that. But you know, you've got coaches who probably work full-time. Not everybody can do it. I've been into a primary school and um, I don't know if it was six weeks I did. What we got with it was probably very little. Um, yeah. You know, what it needs is that real signposting 
from from the professional clubs, you know, they're in there, both all Kingston Rovers and Hull FC. And what I would say is we don't see an awful lot from that, you know, of, of, of players, you know, coming through. I mean, you could almost do it on a draft system, you know, if they go into a school and they've got 10 kids who are interested, look at the clubs who are in the, in the local area and say, right, there's three clubs in this area, so we'll send three to that club, three yeah. to that club, three to, you know, whatever. Um but you don't tend to get that. No. And another reason that they were, they were citing for cutting the academies uh, is not enough like quality players uh, being produced. Um, do you think that's true? Uh, and what is the standard coming through in terms of Hull Dockers? And in around well, Hull, of course. Um, it, 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 in terms of Dockers, we've not had a single player on academy for 10 years so to get far on last year you know or you know in, in the previous few years yeah. has been fantastic now there was probably two of those lads who were directly through the work that we'd done with them you know we supplied them through whereas there was two other um lads who um had come via other teams and so they'd only been with us for a short time so you know we you know would give credit to their teams and you know we did give credit to their teams at that time um but you know there locally there's a lot of kids um in the in the academies um in terms of the quality we've had our first player in 20 years get a pro contract so tom Ware um went from rovers academy to getting a, a super league contract now you know there's probably four or five throughout the city across both teams who've done that maybe a little bit more so you know, we have demonstrated that we can produce a player of that quality, but it's the first is the first year of a, a Super League contract. How will develop? I wouldn't know. But I think it's really short sighted when they talk about producing um, national standard players and Super yeah. League players because as as a as a coach or as a club, our ethos has always been about getting players to pay, to play to the best of their and ability now whether that be to play right the way through the youth whether it be to transfer up to open age or whether it go on to a pathway with a, a professional club every every kid's different but you know yeah it's nice to have that one player who's got a super league contract but it's equally nice to see 17 kids who've signed on for for first team and they're not all oh, sorry for open edge and they're not all going to play I think maybe about 10 or 12 have played up to now but that's a sign of success and and that you know we've got players playing in a different playing pool and some of those kids might get picked up later along the way there's one lad who's never had a look in all the time he's half back but he's, he's played open edge first choice half back for you know since he was 16 yeah now he, he might mature a little bit more and get picked up along the line. We don't know. But it's more important that those kids are kept in the game. In terms of, you know, their aspirations of these, um, you know, national standard players, yeah, it's fine. But when they go looking, you know, around Australia for anybody who's got English heritage, you know, Rangi Chase is a prime example. What does that do for the game? You know, yeah. that's, the, that's the polar opposite. What the you know they're screwing the likes of of Rovers, Cass, and Bradford for. Yeah. Um. And you know it's not all about producing Super League players. If you look at the likes of York and Featherstone and, and other teams, there's 
there's loads of kids who have come through, both Land Rovers Academy. You know, it's interesting that they've given an elite license to Newcastle Thunder, <laughs> but Owen Harrison, who was a Rovers Academy product, has gone on loan to them for the season. Yeah. You know, there's something not quite right there. You look at, um, I know it's, it's not Rovers, but you look at the likes of the Tyson Wilsons um, who have come through LFC. They're both playing at Sheffield. There's a lot of kids come through the Super League Academy process that what end up playing um, in a Super League side. But where do the Featherstons, the Yorks, the Sheffields and all those other teams, where do they get the players yeah. if they're not being produced by those academies? Yeah. You know, it's, it's it's a bit short sighted, and then you've got kids. Um, you know, there's there's lads for both Hull and Rovers in Jamie Shaw and um, oh, Lawler for for Rovers. Who they they both went through the academies. They both went in good enough at that time. They both went back into the amateur game, and they both got Super League contracts. Um, you know, it, it's not always a direct route for kids. Yeah. So, if tomorrow you was put in charge of the RFL and tasked with, you know, getting the player participation up, you know, improving all the academy things, what would your main focus be? I think I think probably some of it's already been covered and, yeah. and at a high level, but, you know, they may be looking at kids too early. You know, let them develop, let them play their community rugby. And, you know, go back to something that's, um, you know, where they can start looking up players, um, you know, whether it be the inter-town competitions. I mean, you could, you know, within um, Holt, they do um, East v West uh, at several age groups. So, you know, they've got the best of the best from both sides of the city, you know, having a real opportunity. So that's their their first opportunity to to get some sort of representative honours but there's there's no um there's no Yorkshire and Lancashire and Cumbria anymore. You know, those sorts of things. You could start that at an early day and have the service areas. So in Hull you, you could have a whole team that you know that comes together that, you know, plays against other areas but they're part of the community club, you know, they maybe do it for a tri series over the summer when there's no community rugby on. But people can already be starting to look at the players, you know, from very early days. Because a kid at 13 might not be as good by the time he's 16, and definitely not by the time 18. And similarly, you might have a kid who's underdeveloped yeah. at, at 13, who's, who's, you know, excelling as he gets older. So, you know, they need to start looking at kids a little bit older. And I think the format of the game, I mean, as a supporter, you don't know what you're getting from one year to the next, so we haven't reserved that way. Yeah. You know, I, I remember the old days of the Colts and the A team and the first team, and, you know, they're the talking about the reserves as well. But, you know, it's it's got to be something that's um, that's you, you're able to sustain. So it might be that if, if Rovers are travelling on a bus over to play Wigan, the, the reserves play Wigan on the same day, so you're putting on one bus. You know, it's yeah. about how you organise things like that. You know, uh, what I don't understand is, as a, a national conference club, the rules state that we have to have a youth set up. Now, I don't know if anybody would ever invoke that, but it seems a bit stupid that, you know, at the elite level of Super League, they don't have to have yeah. that set up. Yeah. You know, I think what would be 
good and you know it's maybe something that they that both clubs need to look at is about getting back to um, providing you know regular opportunities for kids you know like during the school holidays you know the under 13s I mentioned before they went through to CAS for you know an half term yeah. camp um, you know four or five of them went through they maybe need to get back to that at both Fulham Rovers I think probably Covid's been a big impact on that because they do normally do things but you know there needs to be more emphasis in that and in, 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 you know having those better relationships um, I mean I think Pat you know that there is there has been a bit of an issue before in that Ulam Rovers are, are both competing for the best talent in the city yeah and, and that's probably why it's started getting younger and younger and younger that they were looking at kids and you know there maybe needs to be a rule that says you know you, you can't even approach a kid until yeah. he's the 16th after yeah Chris Deere in there now on to all the action from the field in Super League well Hull beat Castleford 30 points to 12. So let's get into that match because the first half, Castleford were quite well actually. They had a better completion rate. Hull had so many offsides. Castleford were playing, you know, when they had to play the balls, they were so quick. That's what forced the Hull offsides. But they didn't take any of the chances really they didn't have anything to show for it and I think they were actually losing at half time and Castleford okay they was without several players so perhaps they would have done better in that first half had they had the likes of Nile Everholds second half they seemed to get a bit desperate they made some silly decisions you know I think Danny Richardson he failed to kick on the last at one stage and then in another instance you know when they were closing in on Hull's try line they had a big big wide gap out on the right and then on the left was you know it were crowded out and where did they choose to go yeah on the left the referee I don't think he did him any favours for Adam Swift's try uh, the pass to him looked forward Nobody on Sky's uh, picked up on that. They just it totally ignored it. And what about Josh Reynolds as well? He In that game, he was even more of a loose cannon than Jake Connor, wasn't he? I've got no idea how he was still on the field. At one stage, he went flying in with a tackle and it, it resembled more of a karate kick, to be honest. And then he went flying in with a shoulder um, not long before the game was about to finish and in the final few stages Hull finally did get a man sent to the sim bin but it's for, for Castleford and for me watching it seemed a bit too late to be honest for my liking the referee was far too lenient but to say it was down to the ref is probably wrong you know Castleford weren't at it and when they did have the chances, they didn't do anything with them. And that's why they lost, really. And Salford, it's becoming a bit of a crisis for Salford. They lost again. And this one was a heavy, heavy loss against someone they probably targeted to win, despite Hull KR doing quite well this year. It They won 40 points to four. And in the first half... I felt sorry for Salford, actually, because they were doing very well, actually. And then, Chris Atkin pulled off a fantastic try-saving tackle. And then, 
in the process of doing the tackle, he, he went one better and took the ball off the whole player, a one-on-one ball steal, but so you're thinking, buddy, hell, Salford are up for this. But the referee had other ideas, didn't he, of course. He said the tackle were complete, which it's, it just wasn't. He was still moving. The he, you know, he was still rolling about. There's no way the tackle were complete. And because of the protests, not only was it a penalty, it was also a symbol for Chris Atkin because of the protests. So, <laughs> his great re- reward for such good play was because after that, Hull scored twice in quick succession. So, not only is sent to the bin, you're also two tries down as well. And the touch judge, he were close to it and he didn't seem to... He didn't, you know, overturn anything. He didn't say, well, you know, he was agreement with the referee. It was... Bizarre. Second half, though, you can't blame the referee for Salford's second half because they were bloody awful. They were their own worst enemy. I think from the kickoff, they failed to catch the ball, so it was a goal line dropout. And then they kicked out on the full after that. It's just so poor. And not something you've come to expect from Salford who got to the grand final and then got to the Challenge Cup final. Well, you know, they seem to rebuild every single year. But, you know, they always seem to have an edge. You know, a difference maker player. You look at that Salford squad and who's who's the guy who's the difference maker? Who's going to get the points? Because I'm looking at the squad and I don't, I don't like the look of it. And they've got issues in the halves as well. They've lost Kevin Brown. So, you know, can they, can they afford to go into the you know, getting some replacements. Is that an option? I'm not sure. And is it an option to get rid of the coach? Well, it's the same set of players. You know, the early the early form was, oh, you know, new coach, new ideas, new players. Now we, we're, we're nearly 10 games in and it's a shorter season as well. And they, they're battling it out with Lee at the moment for that relegation spot. And the problem is, well... So far, it's a good job Lee have been worse than Salford. However, if you're looking at Lee's recent performances, they're just getting better and better. And we're going to go on to Lee, but they seem to have that never-say-die attitude, which is a bit of a cliche, but it's true. And, you know, they're in games every single week, and the the problem with Salford is they give up. And, they, you know, they capitulated... I'm not seeing that with Lee. And if Lee pick up, a, you know, they, they're capable of toppling any team, actually. They seem to do better against the, you know, so-called top sides. So I'd be very, very worried if I was a Salford fan at the moment. Speaking of Lee, they came so, so close to beating Catalan Dragons, who have been one of the best sides this year. Well, they've gone top with that win. It was 36 points to 30. It was a good start for Lee, you know, they started well the week before as well, I think. They probably couldn't believe the luck when they were pretty much handed two tries, you know, some terrible passes from the Dragons. And Lee took full advantage and got the points on the board. They had a good go, but as usual, it's just not enough. 
Matty G had a good game. You know, he did he did some good work for his try. And the the good thing about Lee is they were as against Catalan Dragons. They were right in that game, you know, right up until the last few seconds. But another week, another loss. It it worked to be. But you're looking at these performances, and you you know, surely a win's gonna come. It's I think it's similar to Wakefield. You know, they went through early on in the season. They had some pretty poor results and Chris Chester was despairing after some of the matches and the win came for them and it seems like it's around the corner for Lee. They, what they really don't want to do is, you know, be on the end of a hammering because that could set them back even further. And obviously it's Kurt Haggerty in charge now. I think he's going to get a chance to, you know, prove he can manage Lee. I hope he is given that chance because it seems like everything is there right now. You know, they, they, they might be lacking a bit of quality, but apart from that, a lot of teams would want to have what Lee has got in terms of the uh, effort and spirit, if you know what I mean. Uh, the other game, the only other game in Super League was Warrington. They beat Wakefield 38 points to 18. So Warrington but getting back to winning ways. Into the championship, Sheffield got back to winning ways. They beat winless Oldham, 32 points to 28. And let's first start with Oldham, because for not the first time this year, Oldham have had plenty of chances in the game. But through so many of them away, you know, due to... The, the problem with them, from what I've seen, is on the last kick... You know, they can be metres away from a try, but that short grubber kick is so off the mark that actually they've lost a try. So one minute they, you know, they're so close to a try, and then because of that kick, they're six points down, and they've done that. They did that again against Sheffield. But it's not just that, it's the it's the misplaced passes as well and the wrong decision, the wrong side to go down. You, you saw this against Widnes the week before and they, they, they've produced it yet again. And Sheffield, they, they exploited them errors and they were more clinical. At one stage they were ranking up a lot of points and you were thinking, how old am I going to buckle? Well, they had, but was it going to be a capitulation? But then you saw Sheffield's weak points as well because they allowed Oldham right back in that. Had they made some different decisions towards the end of the game, it could have been a draw and it could have even been a drop-goal win had there been time for that. You know, Sheffield, they've been on a terrible run, so probably, you know, the nerves of trying to keep that win in the bag maybe you know they lost a bit of composure because of that but to be honest it didn't really matter how they won it just mattered that they won such a terrible run they had they've not won for at least a month and a month and a half it feels i think that's right i'm not too sure you know they had to stop losing and they did it, so that's all that matters, to be honest. You know, they can work on the final details in training, you know, the things that's been going wrong. And 
hopefully that win's going to give them the confidence to then, you know, do better in games, rectify those bits where they're going wrong. Because they do have good players, but they've not been showing it recently and they've they've had bad games against Whitehaven and teams like that that they should be winning and they've just not. For Oldham, for next week, they've got Newcastle. <laughs> that becomes even more of a must win. You you saw the fight from Oldham, so they need to they need to bottle that and put it for a you know a more consistent performance. And they need to finish sets better, and they need to be more disciplined on the ball. Also in the championship, so Newcastle got the win against Swinton. It was thirty six points to thirty. A very close run game, not what certainly not what you would expect within the first half. Well, maybe you would because it was so polarising in the first half as well. I think from minute one till, till about the halfway point in the half, Newcastle scored with virtually every player they had. And Swinton had so many gaps in the defence. They were so weak. Newcastle saw them coming, really. But then, something switched, and I'm not sure what it was, but something switched. And then Swinton, you know, they started piling the points on. Second half as well, Swinton continued it. There was a lot of offsides from Newcastle. Swinton had them rattled a bit, actually. And, you know, you're looking at the two halfbacks for Swinton, Martin Ridyard and Will Hope, and they barely had any possession in the first half. It was just constant, constant Newcastle pressure. But you saw the fight back. It was remarkable, to be honest. And, again, another team who's battling it out down at the bottom and so nearly, so nearly got something from that game and they probably deserve something from the game but they're going to have to stop that period where the the momentum's with the opposition team but they need to make sure that the points because every each side you face is going to have a period in the game where they're on top and it's up to you to limit their points scored or make make sure they don't score any points Swinton really, much like Lee, you know, everything's there but the win. And perhaps they're lacking some quality. But I think last last couple of days they came out and the board came out and said, we have the full backing of Stuart Littler. And he seems to have the full backing of his players as well on that performance. Be interesting to see who Swinton have got next. Let's have a look. They've got Halifax. So, a big test, really. Not unbeatable, you know, not impossible. We saw Oldham win 16 points to 12 earlier on in the season. Who have they got next after that? London. So, some tough fixtures coming up. Uh, After that, they've got Whitehaven. So, that one. But... To be honest, they probably want something from them next to anyway, regardless of the opposition, because it's no wins. You know, Oldham have already got two wins, and they are, they're in the relegation zone as well, so <laughs> they need to pick up points rapidly, really. Uh, the rest of the championship, we had 
Halifax, who won again. They're another team who were going well, much like Batley. Probably didn't... Well, you probably did expect from Halifax, but I think the last... Uh, 2019 when it were last on the competition we're, we're on 2020 but we only got about four games in, in the, I think Halifax didn't do too well in 2019 I think they got to that semi-final of the Challenge Cup didn't they but in, in the league it were much to forget about really but this year well they're definitely looking like the playoffs for now and they beat York so you know early favourites to do well this year, York but they've lost more than they've won now 30 points to 6 it was and you know, it's an, it's another match against a playoff contender for York and another loss, they've lost every single match against the playoff contenders you know, you heard James Ford last week saying they're doing everything to make it right, it's his toughest period as a coach, but the players are just... I'm not seeing any improvement. I'm not seeing any progress from York. And I think the big issue for York is... They've signed loads of Super League talent. But if you look at the age of the squad... You know... Quite a lot of them are mid-30s. Are they past the best? Well, the results probably say they might be. And do they have that same energy? You know... They've already got loads of players out injured. Well, that's no surprise if you've got, you know, older players. They're going to pick up injuries more. You're going to have to do more interchanges. Perhaps the balance is not quite right. And they've lost Mikey Lewis now as well. He's gone back and he was a he was a focal point for York. And they're in the market for players. And James Ford better hope he gets them quick. But... As he said, it's probably going to just be a short-term deal. So what? what's two weeks deals going to get you? It's not really going to do much, is it? But that's the situation they're in, and they're going to have to find a way of you know improving with the squad that they've got. But then how do you improve uh, the older players who, you know, they've done all the developing. They've been for, you know, they've been playing for... 10 plus years how do you improve those players who are past the peak past the best only getting worse how do you do that well James Ford's James Ford's got a big task on his hand there still quite a way to go but it is a shorter season so they're going to have to pick up points soon next few for them they've got Batley that's going to be a tough one Batley just well I, I did say earlier on in the season that I'm looking at Batley and I'm thinking they're they're looking good for a playoff playoff place. You know they were my Jack horses, and I'm not usually good with predictions, but I certainly seem to have got that one spot on. Whether they can keep it up for the full season, who knows? But then I said that five games ago, can they keep it up against the better teams? Well, they're still there, aren't they? Uh, after after Batley, they've got Whitehaven. They'll probably win that one. Then they've got Newcastle. So they've got a mixture of fixtures. Probably should win two out of three of those. So that'll keep them in the playoff race. Disappointing if you're a York fan. 
really. Uh, Dewsbury lost to Toulouse, f- 56 points, Toulouse scored uh, just the 12 for Dewsbury. Well, I don't think anyone expected any different there. Toulouse are just a class above everybody else at the moment, it seems. They're looking like Super League, although Featherstone, they they could well stop them. Uh, the rest of the championship, Batley, they beat Whitehaven. They kept the winning run going, but it were close. It were 24 points to 20. And guess who were winning in the first half? Well, Whitehaven won in, in the first half, 16 points to 6. So, you know, probably a few words said in the dressing room. But they've kept that winning run up basically, and they've they've come back battling. So that's another good. That's a good sign if you want to be, you know, if you're in the playoffs. That's a very good sign. Firmly in fourth position, and it's all on win percentage now, isn't it? This year, well, they've got a win percentage of seventy five percent. That's according to the BBC table. Well. There's been a lot of discrepancies with the league tables. I'm just telling you, the BBC, if they've got it wrong, that's up to them. It's no doing me. So they're on 75%. And Halifax, they take up the last position in the playoffs. Sixth place, that is. Uh, they've got 55% win rate. So, you know, they've already got a, a bit of a cushion in them, them playoffs. So they're going well. Uh, the other fixtures... Another close run game. Quite a few close ones in the championship this week. London beat Widnes 24 points to 22. I think Widnes are back where they should be really after after that horrible first few weeks in the championship. You know, they, they seem to be they seem to shaken off that now. And are looking more towards the playoffs rather than, you know, a disaster season where they're fighting relegation. And they they should be really because they've got the players for playoff push. But London, who are, they've been a mixed bag, aren't they? Full time team probably should be doing better. Really, they are in the playoffs. They're fifth place, so. You know, it to be to to some extent, it doesn't does not really matter what you do this year, as long as you're in the playoffs, and then you can, then you can start thinking about what you do. It, it's all about the playoffs, really, isn't it? But then, you know, if if you're losing against teams you should be beating, then what does that say about your chances? So it's all it's all about that, isn't it, really? And the other fixture, Bradford were hammered, and they've been do they've been uh, they must have won seven games on the spin, but they were hammered forty four nil it were Featherstone the victors, so Featherstone much like to lose they they with to lose really in a league of their own, so I'd I'd like to see them two face off, it's a second loss for Bradford. The other one coming against Sheffield, and that was another calamitous loss. The fact that they've done that again, that might be a concern. Because when things are not going right, where's the players to get them out of the, you know, the the shit? 
next few for Bradford, they've got Witness. They they might lose, you know Witness have got a genuine chance with that one. Uh, they would have been playing to lose next week, but that doesn't seem to be on. So they've got a week off. So it's Witness next for them. Um, will the week off do them any good? Who knows? It might. It might play on the minds, the loss, so it could go either way. Um, after that, they've got Batley, so <laughs> big fixtures coming up for Bradford. It's really going to test whether they're you know, a top playoff contender or whether they're in the pack fighting for the, for the few places that are left over with the rest of the teams. That was it for Championship. Now let's get into League One. And we'll start off with Barrow. So Barrow, they beat Rochdale 40 points to 4. Now I said last week about Rochdale, you know, I thought they'd be doing better. And perhaps, you know, they they would have been. But have you seen the, the injury list that they've got? They've got so many players out injured. So it's it's actually no surprise that they've been, you know, lo- losing some surprise fixtures. I think they occupy the last um, playoff spot, sixth place. So, no disaster. It, it, you know, if they get them players back, you know they're gonna be they're gonna be banging on the door of everybody else. So, you know, in they've got the injuries, so it's no surprise where they are at the moment. But in terms of the Barrow game, in the in the first half, Barrow the better side really. You know, they put loads of pressure on the Rochdale Hornets try line. And for for some time, you know, the Rochdale Hornets actually held them up for quite a while. But then, you know, Barrow, you know, kept knocking on the door and it finally, the, the door opened. But you, if you look in that first half, I think Barrow was actually quite error prone. They were they weren't really at the best, even though they were the better side. I think the completion rate was just over fifty percent, and they was they were squandering loads of chances. You know when they was me just meters away from the try line, and early in the second half there was a there was a sim, there were two sim bins for Rochdale Hornets. So, you know, they shot themselves in the foot with that one. But, you know, it was always going to be a hard task, especially with so many players out. I think it it's two hat-tricks uh, for, the, for T. Ritz and the Barrow Raiders player, two hat-tricks in two weeks for him. So he's having a good, good period at the moment. And for Barrow, everything's going well so far, you know. Dead certs for returning to the championship at the moment. Hunslet beat London Scholars 62 points to 10. Big win for Hunslet, that. They, I think they're just outside the playoffs, actually. And they weren't they weren't doing too well at the start of the season. Did, did they lose all of the first three games? I think they might have. Oh, sorry, Hunslet are not just outside the playoffs. The fifth place, they they're well in the playoffs actually. They they level with Keefley, who've got the same win percentage, which is fifty percent. 
rest of the results, speaking of Keighley, they scored 70 points against West Wales. You know, another big loss for West Wales, no surprise. West Wales got 12 points, so two tries. Or maybe three if they were not converted, who knows. It's an in, in League One now, the, the two teams at the bottom are the two Welsh teams. So, you know, North Wales will be looking to get in the playoffs. It's very, very competitive in League One at the moment, actually, because you've really got... Um, you've got Barrow, Doncaster and Workington. They, they seem to be battling it out for the automatic spots. You know, Doncaster and Workington, they've both got the loss the one loss between them uh barrow you know unbeaten so and then it's basically um keithley hunslet rochdale coventry london and north wales four of them are on 33.33 recurring win percent and then keithley and hunslet are on 50 percent so you know Virtually every team wants the playoffs. You know, well, I'm sure West Wales want the playoffs as well, but realistically, they probably can't. But so virtually every single team, barring West Wales, has a genuine chance at the playoffs. And there's 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 four missing out. So interesting times in League One. Rest of the fixtures: Doncaster. Another high-scoring game. They smashed North Wales 68 points to nil. Other results. Coventry lost to Workington Town. They won 30 points to 12. And that was your lot in League One. And that's your lot for the whole podcast. Do join me next week because I'll be joined by another guest. However, you'll have to find out on Monday, won't you? See you next week.